Okay. And seeing the multitudes, he went up on a mountain. When he was seated, his disciples came to him. And then he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It's then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. You are the light of the world. A city that's set on a hill can't be hidden. Nor do they light a lamp and uh, put it under a, under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Don't think that I came to destroy the law or the prophets. I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill. For assuredly, I say to you, till heaven and earth pass away, one jot or one tittle will by no means pass from the law till all is fulfilled. Whoever therefore breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches men so shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does and teaches them, he shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. <clears throat> For I say to you that unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. <clears throat> You've heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder and Whoever murders will be in danger of the judgment. But I say to you that whoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger. <clears throat> Excuse me. Shall be in danger of the judgment. And um, whoever says to his brother, Raka, shall be in danger of the council. But whoever says, You fool, shall be in danger of hellfire. <clears throat> Therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar and they remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar. Go your way. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Agree with your adversary quickly while you are on the way with him, lest 
your adversary, deliver you to the judge. The judge hand you over to the officer and you be thrown into prison. Assuredly, I say to you, you will by no means get out of there till you have paid the last penny. You've heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that whoever looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin and pluck it out, cast it from you, it's more profitable for you that one of your members perish than for your whole body to be cast into hell. If your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and cast it from you, for it's more profitable for you that one of your members perish than for your whole body to be cast into hell. Furthermore, furthermore, it's been said, uh, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her, give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that whoever divorces his wife for any reason except sexual immorality causes her to commit adultery. And whoever marries a woman who is divorced commits adultery. Again, you've heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform your oaths to the Lord. But I say to you, don't swear at all, neither by heaven, for it's God's throne, nor by the earth, for it's his footstool, nor by Jerusalem, for it's the city of the great king. Nor shall you swear by your head, because you can't make one hair white or black. But let your yes be yes, and your no, no. For whatever is more than these is from the evil one. You've heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you not to resist an evil person. Whoever slaps you on your right cheek, turn the other to him also. If anyone wants to sue you and take away your tunic, let him have your cloak also. And whoever compels you to go one mile, go with him too. Give to him who asks you, and from him who wants to borrow from you, do not turn away. You've heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you. And pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward have you? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet your brethren only, what do you do more than others? Do not even the tax collectors do so? Therefore, you shall be perfect, just as your Father in heaven is perfect. Uh, Father, will you help us? Would you, Lord, would you speak to us through your word? With the power of your spirit, would you, would you take your hand and would you lay your, your finger on the areas of our hearts that are still dark, that aren't yet reflecting your character to the degree that they could be, Lord. 
And as you've called us your sons, your children, uh, through faith, Lord, may what Jesus said here, therefore you shall be perfect just as your Father in heaven is perfect, that we would measure up, that we would fulfill. <laughs> That we'd be mature, Lord. Sometimes it's really easy for us to simply talk about um, what we might think of as the big sins. All of them visible and outside of us. And actions that we do without dealing with the reality that all of them are rooted in what is inside of us. And it's out of our heart that flow all of the wickedness in the world around us. It's out of our hearts, Lord. It's out of human hearts that the world is a mess. Because we have tried to be our own little gods, attempting to set up our own little kingdoms all the while ignoring yours. So would you, Lord, would you humble us and would you um, continue to make us recipients of your reign, of your kingdom in our hearts, in our lives. And then may, it, may that reality spread through us in the way that we think, in the decisions that we make with our, with our money and with our family and with our friends and, and, and as a church. As a community of believers, may that reality, the reality of your kingdom, may it be worked out through us so that we would be a benefit to our city and to our families and to our kids, Lord. Truly, would you, would you please do in us that good work that only you can, my Father, please. And would you use your word to do it? Make us people of the word people of your word, God. Would you do it in Jesus' name? Amen. 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 All right, guys. So we're going to pick up in um, verse 17 here. I want to read through um, verse 17 through 20 one more time. This is the little section that we're going to be going through. So we have 17, 18, 19, and uh, 20 is what we'll be... Um, looking at <laughs> this week. Um, but I don't want to... Uh, one of the things I've wanted to do as we've go, go, gone through the Sermon on the Mount, as we've continued to go through it, is I want to make sure that we're rooting it all back into the entire sermon, right? One of the problems with going through four verses at a time is that we can, we can disconnect what's being said here from the rest of the text, from the rest of the sermon. And I think that we, we lose sight of, uh, I think, the entirety of what Jesus is saying sometimes when we do that, right? So much of our Bible reading needs to make sure that it is in the context, uh, not only of the, uh, the immediate area, but the context of the book in which we find it, the context of that particular book, and then the overall context of the, the, uh, the scriptures themselves, the Old Testament and New Testament, right? And the, the entire story that's unfolding of God's redemption of humanity, uh, in spite of human rebellion and sin and pride. 
Okay. So uh, I want to read through from verse 17 to 20 again, and then we will um, back up to verse 17 and uh, hopefully get a good look at this idea. Uh, I'm going to preface this this with this. The, the, the idea or the teaching, the focus is on this idea of, of fulfillment, of um, something being fulfilled. And what we're talking about being fulfilled, what Jesus is talking about being fulfilled, is the Torah, okay? The law of Moses. The uh, rabbis in Israel had um, taught over the years. They had kind of uh, tried to succinctly say, <laughs> as succinctly as they could maybe, that with, contained within the Torah. The Torah is the first five books of the Old Testament, which were uh, claimed to have been written by Moses himself. Within the Torah, there were 613 commands of God. Okay? Now, they had other writings, the Mishnah and the Talmud, uh, which sort of clarified how you might keep those commandments. But in the Torah itself, uh, they had uh, sort of codified that there were 613 commands. That's a lot. <laughs> okay. uh, sometimes we focus very specifically on, on uh, maybe what we might think of as the Big Ten, right? Uh, we focus on the Ten Commandments uh, and uh, those that were uh, sort of etched in, uh, not sort of, that were etched in stone there um, that Moses brought down, that God spoke audibly from the mountain uh, there that Israel could hear um, in the voice of God. But uh, the law itself, from Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, uh, they had said there were 613 commands. Okay, so um, the focus here of what Jesus is teaching us is on the idea of fulfillment. Okay, now, um, there's a lot to this. We won't take that long, right? <laughs> we'll see. Um, verse 17 says this. Do, oh, oh, hold on. I'm sorry, I wanted to preface this a couple ways, and I, I began that. Uh, the other thing I wanted to say in preface to this section was that, keep in mind who's being spoken to here. This is sort of at the height of Jesus' ministry after he's been baptized by John the Baptist, and John is in prison. Now Jesus picks up the same message that John had when he said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Okay, Jesus is essentially presenting God's kingdom to the nation of Israel. Now, uh, this is a very public thing. He's he's doing lots of miracles. He's called the the twelve to follow him. It's a very public part of his ministry. Now, eventually, the leaders in Israel are going to do something uh, where they basically say the reason why you have this power, Jesus, is by not by the spirit of God, but by the spirit of Beelzebub, by the spirit of of the devil, essentially the spirit of demons. Okay. Um, so when they do that, Jesus says, "Listen, you guys, blasphemy against the Father will be forgiven you." Blasphemy against the Son be forgiven you. Every blasphemy against the Father. Every blasphemy against the, the Son. But if you blaspheme against the Spirit, it won't be forgiven you. And they had attributed the Spirit that he was working through, that was working through him, that he was doing all of these things through. They had attributed this Spirit to demons. And uh, at this point, Jesus sort of withdraws from his more public ministry and begins to focus on discipleship of the Twelve. Okay. And of course, even one of them was a devil, right? Uh, Judas uh, was. So, um, but at this point in his life, in this point in his ministry, he's speaking to a crowd of people. He's gone up on a mountainside. The disciples have come closer to him on this mountain. This was a common place for him to speak. Sometimes he would speak from a mountain because it provided good projection because you're up over the people. It just makes sense. Uh, other times he would go out into a boat and just push off from the shore a little bit because the water itself would become a natural amplifier to his voice. Uh, keep in mind, this is right. This is before you know little microphones like this, <laughs> you know, and. 
and uh, all of that stuff. And he's outside uh, in Israel doing these things uh, most of the time. Okay, so he's speaking to them, and and I think one of the This is sort of a preface of the next thing that he's going to do, because the next sections that we're about to go through in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is going to say to them, these are the things you've been taught in the past. Now, let me tell you something. Okay. Now, the um, and at the end of the whole Sermon on the Mount, it says that the, the people that heard him, they were amazed at Jesus teaching because he did not teach them like the Jewish scribes taught them. He taught as a person having authority himself. Now, I want you to understand that a common way that, um, that um, people would be taught would be by quoting other people. The way that you would teach the Torah would be, to buy, would be to quote other rabbis. You would quote the Talmud, you would quote the Mishnah, you would quote other rabbis, you would say, Rabbi so-and-so taught this, or Rabbi such-and-such taught this. And what that would do was, it's a common argument, uh, a co- common way to... Um, present an argument. It's called an appeal to authority, right? It's like if you're speaking to somebody else about some particular issue and somebody's giving you some counterpoint that you disagree with or whatever, you could say, well, Dr. Such-and-Such says this, right? So what you're doing is you're appealing to the authority of someone else, right? You're saying, well, this person knows better than what you're saying and they have this credential to, pr- to prove that they should know better, right? It's an appeal to their authority. Now, that was a very common form of teaching, when Jesus comes on the scene now and he teaches the Jews and he's saying, listen, guys, this is what you've been taught. This is what you've heard. But I say to you, this was this was a groundbreaking idea because Jesus was appealing to himself as the one with the authority. That's real scary. <laughs> right. You better hope you're right if you're doing that. <laughs> like you say, well, this is what other people have taught you, but I'm telling you this, right? That's a very scary reality. Maybe one of the reasons why uh, later on in the scriptures uh, we're warned, uh, do not let many of you become teachers, recognizing that the teachers will receive stricter judgment, right? Uh, We're responsible for the things that we teach other people, right? Um, So, Jesus does not appeal to, in the next section, he's not appealing to other rabbis, He's not appealing to previous teachers. He's appealing to himself as the authority. I say to you. That's the, the phrases that he's going to use over and over and over again in the next section. We just read, we just read through that. Uh, you've heard it said of old, blah, 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 but I say to you. It's this phrase that he repeats over and over and over again. Okay? Now, this section that we're looking at this morning is a preface to that. So before he gets to that section, he says, listen, I want you to understand this. Don't think, do not think, they're about to make some coffee now, (laughs) just kidding. (laughs) Uh, Don't think that I came to destroy the law or the prophets. I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill. For assuredly, I say to you, till heaven and earth pass away, one jot or one tittle will by no means pass from the law till all is fulfilled. Now, I'll stop right there for a second. I'm going to wait for the thing to drain. (laughs) Okay, so um, the very beginning of this, he says, don't think that I came to destroy the law. Now, what he's about to do could be interpreted that way. He says, here's what you've been taught. Here's what the law says. But here's what I tell you. And he appeals to himself as the authority there. Now, that's a pretty powerful place to put himself. 
right? Because the Torah, the law, was, was what the prophet Moses gave Israel. This was a huge deal. This was their instructions for civil life, their instructions for, for criminal life, the instructions for personal life. All of that is in the law of Moses. This is the law they received at Sinai, their contract with God, where God said, if you do these things, you'll live. And Israel said, we'll do these things. We will live by this. So Jesus begins and he says, don't think that I came to destroy the law or the prophets. I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill. You may have heard in the past, I've heard this over and over and over again. This is one of the reasons why I really dislike a lot of social media. <laughs> okay, so uh, whenever people talk about uh, particular stances on, say, social issues, and they uh, present something from the Bible to say, well, this is where you should stand on a particular issue. Sometimes people will quote things from, from where? From Torah, right? From the law, right? Um, other issues I've had were um, kind of similar to that. Um, we had somebody um, who was very, very offended at tattoos uh, in uh, um, our church previously. Very, very offended, and they uh, didn't even want to have anything to do with me because I have tattoos, uh, in the past, because they had been taught that the law said that that God didn't want us to have any tattoos, and they, of course, quote from Leviticus, where uh, the law says um, not to tattoo yourself uh, for the dead, not to make any cuttings in your flesh for the dead, that sort of thing. Um, there are other parts of the law that deal with other things, like uh, don't eat shellfish, right? You can eat any, any fish that has... Um, fins and scales, anything out of the water that has fins and scales, but, but you can't eat any shellfish, right? Um, you can't eat any pork. That's part of the law of Moses, part of the Torah, right? So no bacon, no ham, uh, none of that stuff, right? So all of this stuff is in the law of Moses. And the issue that sometimes people struggle with when it comes to, especially people who either don't know the scriptures or who themselves aren't believers, sometimes these are believers who just haven't been taught very well, uh, but one of the issues becomes, what do we do with the law of Moses? What do we do with those commands, right? Because people will draw them out and they'll say, well, this is, you know, this is what the law of Moses says, and this is why you aren't really a Christian because the Bible says this, or this is why you Christians shouldn't do this or shouldn't act this way or, or should do this other thing or should whatever is because the Bible says this, right? And they draw something out from the law of Moses. And when you do that, obviously, you take the, the entirety of the scriptures, of all 66 books of the Bible, you take one little section out and you say, well, this is what Christians are supposed to do, right? <laughs> what it does is, in the very, the very bottom level, what it does is it, it neglects the context of every part of the, the Word of God. Because what's happening in the Bible is not just, the Bible is not just a rule book. It's not just a book written with a bunch of laws that you need to try to keep. But particularly if you haven't believed the gospel of grace, if you haven't entered into the reality that Jesus died on the cross to rescue sinners and that your obedience isn't what saves you, but it's only believing him that rescues you. He comes to rescue you. If, if we've believed this great news, then we understand this. But many people haven't, right? And so what they do is they, they present Christianity as if it's exactly like every other religious system, which says, here are the rules, try to keep them. If you keep them, then good things will happen to you. If you keep them, then you'll be saved, quote-unquote, whatever that means in that particular religious setup. 
And so people identify Christianity in the same way. They say this is exactly the same as every other religious system. Right now, if you've understood and, and seen the gospel of grace, then you know that's not true. We don't have another set of rules that we try to keep to make God happy, hoping that will be good enough. In fact, um, what Jesus, the level that Jesus establishes here in the text that we're looking at this morning is to say that even the people you think are the religious leaders, their righteousness isn't even enough. That's what he sort of ends with there in um, verse 20 of this section. The, the righteousness that they have, it's not, even, it's not enough. Unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you, you're not going to enter the kingdom. So what do we do with what do we do with the law? Why is it that when I read the Bible, I can read the law and I can recognize that um, I am not bound to keep, that is to hold and to obey every part of those 613 commands in the Torah? How can I do that and still say that I'm following the Bible? <laughs> that I'm a Christian, right? Christianity really is the fulfillment of the, the Hebrew promises, the Jewish promises, right? Jesus is a Hebrew, is a Jewish Messiah. Okay, um, how can we do that? Can we just throw it out and say, well, it doesn't matter because Jesus came, everything's different, but the question is, why? Why? And that's what Jesus, I think, begins to deal with here. Do not think that I came to destroy the law or the prophets. I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill. Right? Um, and the argument, because here's like the argument that people have with us sometimes. They'll say, well, you say that such and such an activity is bad, Mr. Christian. Well, I read the Bible, and the Bible says, you know, you can't eat, you can't wear clothes with mixed fibers, with mixed blend, right? You can't have like wool and cotton mixed or whatever. Or, I read the Bible, and the Bible says that you can't eat shellfish. Or, I read the Bible, and the Bible says that you can't eat pork. And you're saying that you're obeying the Bible because you're not doing whatever this other thing is, but you're doing this other thing, right, that the Bible clearly says you shouldn't be able to do, right? And they say, gotcha! <laughs> you're just a hypocrite because you're not really keeping the Bible, right? You're not really obeying the Bible even though you say you are. Oh. Jesus says this, don't think that I came to destroy the law of the prophets. I didn't come to destroy, but to fulfill. Jesus didn't come to break the commandments or to just remove the commandments of Moses. He came to satisfy the demands of the law, to fulfill them. Everything that was commanded in the law of Moses, everything that was required of someone to be right with God, Jesus did. Now, please understand, nobody else did it. <laughs> no one else did. But Jesus did. He came to fulfill it. And now that it's fulfilled, then we're going to move this direction. And we're going to pick up a couple of places in the New Testament where we're taught this by, uh, by Paul. We're going to find how we now relate to the law of Moses as people who are united together in Jesus. Right? When you believed him that he died on the cross for your sins, that he was buried and raised from the dead, when you laid your trust in him to come rescue you, recognizing that you couldn't save yourself, 
when you did, you did that. He came to live with you. You were united together with him. You are in him and he is in you. This is a great mystery that's spoken of over and over and over again throughout the New Testament. Something that we refer to as position. Right? It's where we sit or where we stand, where we live in relationship, in a certain position, uh, in relationship to God and in relationship to others. He didn't come to destroy the law of Moses or just to say, well, the law of Moses doesn't matter anymore. Just, I just break it. It's all gone. None of that matters anymore. Instead, he comes and he satisfies the demands of the law. Do you understand that's what fulfill means? everything the law said, this is what you must do to live, Jesus did it. He satisfied the demands of the law. He fulfilled the law. And we're going to pick this up a lot in just a second here. I want you to hold these thoughts in your head. So, assuredly I say to you, here's what Jesus has to say about Moses. Um, Assuredly I say to you, till heaven and earth pass away, one jot or one tittle will by no means pass from the law till all is what? Till it's satisfied. Till its demands are met. Till what was required of the law was fulfilled. Do you see that? Assuredly, I say to you, till heaven and earth pass away. Now, I want to make sure that we're clear on what this jot and tittle are, okay? Because I read that for years as a kid, and I was like, what the what? Right? I don't, I don't know what that is, right? So, right. So, a jot is actually the, it's a, it's a transliterated form of the Greek word, the Greek letter, uh, iota, okay? And iota is uh, what you and I might think of as an I, um, traditionally, Okay. Uh, it's the smallest Greek letter. But keep in mind that Jesus would have been speaking Hebrew or Aramaic, right? So in Hebrew, the smallest letter is not iota, that's Greek. In Hebrew or Aramaic, the smallest letter is yod. Same letter, okay? Uh, yod. So not one yod. So the smallest letter of the Hebrew in the Law of Moses, because the Law of Moses was, was written in Hebrew, okay? So not even the smallest letter now keep in mind that ancient, many ancient languages and literatures were written without uh, punctuation, without spacing between words. That's what makes translation sometimes very difficult. <laughs> and even reading ancient texts can be very difficult because there is no punctuation and there is no spacing between words. Many languages used their own characters, their own lettering as their numbering system. Okay, so it could it could make things difficult. <laughs> okay, it took some time. It take, takes learning. Um, uh, to uh, to work through that, but the jot is uh, either the Greek letter iota, which is the New Testament's written in Greek, so Matthew wrote wrote uh, that here. Uh, but the the Hebrew letter is yod. Uh, you might say y o d is how it looks when it's brought into like English lettering. Okay, <laughs> yod. So the smallest letter would not pass from the law. I mean, we're not talking about words. Even the smallest letter, this is how important the word of God is to God. Jesus says, not even the smallest letter is going to pass from the law until it's fulfilled. Okay, and then if that's not small enough, he goes on to say a tittle. Now, I've never never used the word tittle before uh, outside of the context of reading this uh, text. Um, 
it is the it's a small stroke on a Hebrew letter. And a tittle can actually change a letter, apparently, can change a letter or a word from one word to another word. Uh, the actual Greek that Matthew uses here, remember this is a New Testament book, and Matthew's writing it to us in the Greek language. The Greek a word that's used here, that, that's translated as uh, tittle, is a word that uh, it's um, kadaya, and it means... Uh, it means like uh, a stroke on the end of a letter. If you know anything about um, uh, fonts, computer fonts, you know that some fonts have something called serifs, S-E-R-I-F. And what that is, is like a little tiny like little line or a little uh, inflection or dot at the end of some letters um, connected to it. It's a serif, okay? That is what this is. Now in Hebrew, it makes a bigger difference because it can change, it can change a word. Uh, in English, we have many of our fonts on our computers that some of them have serifs and some of them, it literally says, if you read it, you look, pick, pull up your Microsoft Word and you look at different fonts, you'll see some say sans serif. That means it doesn't have the serifs, right? It's that font, but without the serifs on the actual lettering, okay? So... That's what he's referring to here. The smallest letter and even the smallest stroke. Now, can you imagine the, how detailed the scribes had to be when copying one book, like making a copy of a book? I mean, we're not, no printing presses, right? <laughs> there are all sorts of... Um, uh, things that have been said about the traditions of the scribes when they were making copies of the writings. But for what we're talking about today, Jesus makes it very clear that as it relates to the law of Moses, all of it, even down to the smallest letter and the smallest stroke, none of that would pass away until it was all fulfilled. But keep that language in mind. Till it is all <laughs> fulfilled. Do you hear that? Okay. It's not going to pass away till it is fulfilled. So at some point, it seems like it's passing away. Do you understand that? Till it is fulfilled, he said. Now, keep going. Whoever therefore breaks one of the least of these commands, commandments and teaches men so shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does does and teaches them, he shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Keep in mind the immediate context. Jesus is speaking to a group of Jews, presenting to them the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God. And he's saying, if you go and you break Moses' law and you teach other people to break it, you're, le you're going to be least in the kingdom. Whoever does the law and teaches it, he shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I say to you that unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, the scribes are, are the, the copyists of the law. <laughs> right? They're required to be ceremonially clean. Okay? And keep in mind that in the, the time that Jesus is teaching this, the temple is still standing, sacrifices are still happening, 
all of this stuff is still going on, right? Now, you and I are a bit disconnected from that at this point, right? But, but all of that stuff is still going on. There are daily sacrifices. There are sacrifices for sin. There are peace offerings. There are all sorts of, of things going on, right, in fulfillment of the law. And Jesus then says, I say to you that unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. The Pharisees were that uh, sort of sect or that group of Israel that comprised much of the Sanhedrin, the 70 elders or leaders of the nation of Israel itself. The Pharisees were in many ways linked very closely with the Roman authorities who were kind of even over them at this point in history. Okay. The Pharisees were seen as those who, um, in many ways, did what was right, because a lot of times they were rich. A lot of times they had more money than others. They were people of prominence in the communities, people of prestige, right? And they even taught that one of the reasons why they were was because they were so obedient to God, right? The reason why we are better than everyone else is because we do what God wants us to do, right? Now, I want you to keep in mind... Um, hearing that is kind of like hearing somebody say, listen, unless you are more righteous than, you know, than the priests, or more righteous than the pastor, unless your righteousness exceeds whoever you in your mind think of as somebody that is really doing what's right. He says, as his example, he uses the scribes and the Pharisees. Unless your righteousness is even more than theirs, you won't enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, that's kind of a sad place to put everyone, isn't it? (laughs) But think about... Think about what we read when we read Deuteronomy 27 and 28 a couple weeks ago, where Moses commands... Israel, he says, when you guys go into the promised land, or God commands through Moses, when you go into the promised land, um, when you get to Mount Ebal and Mount Gerizim, separate into two different groups, and have half of you go on Mount Ebal, half of you go up on Mount Gerizim, and then one group will pronounce all the blessings, and the other group will pronounce all the cursings. And they were centered around a very simple idea. You got the blessings if you obeyed God. But... You got the cursings if you didn't obey God. I don't know if you... Um, I hope that you maybe remember that from that text there. That is a very basic idea that is prevalent not only, not only within the idea of the law of Moses, but it's prevalent in, in all sorts of religious systems. It's prevalent in the world that we live in right now. Just... Think about the way that we view what it means to be blessed is for good things to happen to you. And if something bad happens to you, we don't look at that and say, well, that's a blessing. Oftentimes people look at your life if you have, I mean, think about the way that you think of maybe somebody who's homeless, maybe somebody who's suffered a great deal. And you look at their life and you say, well, they're cursed, right? Because it's because of their disobedience to God. And that's, I'm blessed, I have what I have, and I'm not like that person because 
I'm blessed because I'm doing good and I'm doing the right things and that person did all the wrong things and that's why they're in the position that they're in. I want you to understand that that kind of thinking is, is normal, first of all. Absolutely normal. And it's in line with, please make sure that, that you get this. That idea is in line with what Moses said in Deuteronomy, right? If you obey the commands of the law, blessings come on you, Israel. When you disobey the commands of the law, you get cursed. You get the cursings, okay? I say to you, Jesus said in verse 20, that unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. So the only way to enter the, this kingdom, the kingdom of the heavens, God's kingdom, is for our righteousness to be greater than even the people that we think are righteous, the righteous people in our community. Paul's going to pick up this idea in a couple of places. The first one that I want to look at is in his uh, letter to the Roman church in uh, the book of Romans. <clears throat> so in Romans 9, um, Paul says this in verse 30 of Romans 9. What shall we say then? That Gentiles, now let's make sure we have a very good, a robust understanding of the scriptures, okay? Gentiles is the way that Jews call everybody that's not a Jew, okay? The Hebrew word is goyim. It's, it's all the nations. It's everybody that's not born a Jewish person. A Jew is a descendant of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and therefore part of the 12 tribes of Israel, okay? That's a, a Jewish person by, uh, by nature, if you would. Okay, if we can say it that way. Um, but a Gentile then is everybody who's not part of that family. Okay, everybody who's not a descendant of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Okay, that's the nations. That's everybody else. So in uh, Romans nine, Paul says, "What Paul says this? What shall we say then that Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained to righteousness, even the righteousness of faith?" So all the other nations, he said, the Gentiles, who weren't pursuing God's righteousness like the Jews were because they had the law, they knew what God's expectations were so they could work at pursuing them, at making themselves righteous. Uh, he said they have attained, the Gentiles have attained to righteousness, but not the righteousness of the law, not the righteousness of keeping the law, but the righteousness of faith. And he's going to uh, bring that up more in another place. But Israel, this is because in this setting here in Romans, he's talking about why much of the nation of Israel has rejected their Messiah. God had a remnant of those, a small group of, of Jews who did believe, but most of Israel rejected the Messiah. And Paul is sort of going over why that is. But Israel, listen, pursuing the law of righteousness has not attained to the law of righteousness. So the, the nations out there who didn't have the law of Moses, that is, if they believe the gospel, they receive righteousness by faith. They are made right with God because they trust Him. 
But Israel, pursuing righteousness through the law, the law of righteousness, trying to make themselves righteous. I am right with God because I do the right things. He says they have not attained. They have not done it. Because the law said, uh, cursed is everyone who does not continue in all of the things written in the law. It's not good enough to say, well, I haven't murdered anybody and I haven't committed adultery. Okay? If you've broken any part of the law, you're guilty of breaking the law. It's as simple as that. It's something that the New Testament picks up in the book of James later on. Israel, pursuing the law of righteousness, has not attained to the law of righteousness. And now Paul says this in verse 32. <coughs> why? Why have they not attained to the law of righteousness? Because they did not seek it by faith, but as it were, by the works of the law. For they stumbled at that stumbling stone, just as it is written, Behold, I lay in Zion a stumbling stone and rock of offense, and whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. Um, Sorry, that, by the way, is a quote from um, Isaiah the prophet Isaiah, where God says, I'm going to lay this um, stumbling stone, this rock of offense in Zion, and whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. Now, the thing that gets me is that, of course, hindsight is 2020, right? We can look back at history and we can say, why did they not see? We can look back at the Old Testament scriptures and say, well, why didn't they understand? But, but God has helped us to see, right? So <clears throat> They stumbled at that stumbling stone, as it is written, Behold, I lay in Zion a stumbling stone and rock of offense, and whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. Brethren, he continues in, in chapter 10, verse 1, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they may be saved. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but it's not according to knowledge. For they, being ignorant of God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own righteousness, they have not submitted to or come underneath. They have not submitted to the righteousness of God. For the Messiah, please listen to this summary statement of Paul's, In Romans 10, verse 4, For the Messiah, the Christ, is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. So when people come along, they say, Well, this is what the law of Moses says. Why aren't you keeping this? Because I have attained to righteousness by faith through the Messiah. (laughs) Because the Messiah is the end of the law for attaining righteousness. But the Jews, Paul said, the nation of Israel as a whole, trying to establish their own righteousness through their own obedience, trying to say, well, I'm good enough because I keep the law. They have missed, they missed God's righteousness that they could have as a free gift. God's saying, I'll give you my righteousness. I will make you righteous. If you will just trust me, if you'll believe the Messiah, if you'll believe that He is the sacrifice for all sin, 
And not just to cover your sin, but to take it away. And this is something that's spoken of throughout the, the book of Hebrews. Like, it's a, it's a huge part of the book of Hebrews, right? Not just to cover your sin, not just to give you clothing to cover it up, but to remove it from you. This is what our Messiah has done. This is what Jesus has done. So then we stand in a relationship to God now where we are righteous before him, not because we keep the law of Moses. Not even because we obey all the commands of the New Testament. But because we are in Christ. We are accepted. And we can go to Him and ask for anything. Believing that He hears us and that we are His children. This is such great news. This this is the gospel. (laughs) Because the whole world out there is burdened. The whole world that has rejected this is burdened with this reality. Good things happen to me when I do what is good. Bad things happen to me when I do what is bad. And that is simply not always the case. Please don't misunderstand what I'm saying. When we reject the order that God has established for the world and seek to make ourselves gods and define what is right and wrong and good and bad ourselves, and we walk in disobedience to God, yes, there are absolutely consequences to that that are going to cause you problems and pain and difficulty. Because God has said, this is the way I made everything. (laughs) This is the right way. This is what makes sense, right? So when we reject that, there are natural consequences to all of those things that are established in the order of creation. You are free to make your choice but you are not free to choose the consequence for that choice. Okay? But so many times, people go through their lives, and sometimes people who, and this is where I want to be very cautious, one thing I want to be cautious with is this, Sometimes there are people who believe they're Christians who aren't actually Christians because they haven't really laid their trust in Jesus. They're still trying to establish their own righteousness by saying, well, I'm good, I'm acceptable, good things are going to happen to me because I'm doing good and nothing bad's going to happen because I'm not doing all those bad things that everybody else out there is doing, right? The testimony of the New Testament is that if you want to follow Jesus then you will deny yourself and take up your cross and follow him. The testimony of the New Testament is that those who follow God will have tribulation. You will have trouble if you want to obey God. You will have difficulties. And in fact, what we get to do now is look at those things and realize that they're not curses from God because of our disobedience to him. But instead, they may be disciplined. If we've disobeyed the Lord, he may be disciplining us. Because he loves us, that's a, that's a sign of our acceptance before him. Or it could just be some other thing that God is doing because he's producing something in that trouble in our lives. He's producing patience, endurance, perseverance, and hope. Because hope builds character when we begin to be more patient and we begin to hope for the coming kingdom more than we long for the things that are here. We begin to interpret all of life differently, recognizing that we've received righteousness as a gift. But there are many people in our churches, many people in our gatherings, um, who've still not entered into that. 
They've embraced a cultural Christianity where they believe that because they've gone to church for 30 years, that that means that they've believed. But it doesn't necessarily mean that. I say to you that unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom. What he's saying is what Paul said there in Romans 10. Israel, trying to establish their own righteousness, did not attain to the righteousness of the law. And instead of believing the Messiah and receiving the gift of God's righteousness, they missed it. It's a sad reality. It's not true only for Israel. It's true for many people now, still. (laughs) For they, verse 3 of Romans 10, for they being ignorant of God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own righteousness have not submitted to the righteousness of God for the Messiah, the Christ, is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. For Moses writes about the law or writes about the righteousness which is of the law. Here's what Moses said in the Law of Moses. The man who does those things shall live by them. But the righteousness of faith speaks in this way. Do not say in your heart, who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ uh, down from above, or who will descend into the abyss, that is to bring Christ the Messiah up from the dead. But what does it say? Here's what, what it says. It says the word is near you, in your mouth, and in your heart. By the way, this, those things that Paul's quoting right there are from the law of Moses. They're from Deuteronomy. The law itself had said, don't, don't say who will ascend or who will descend. <laughs> don't, don't say that stuff, right? Um, but the word is near you in your mouth. The law of Moses had even talked about this reality. The law of Moses had said that Abraham was justified because he believed God, Right? That's what Genesis says, right? It says, Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. So even before the law of Moses came, righteousness was was attained how? Not by keeping the law, right? Because Abraham didn't even have the law. How could he keep the law? (laughs) But the righteousness of faith, the gift of righteousness was there even before the law came. And we see... Even in Noah, it says Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord, right? And Noah and his family were rescued there in the ark. And then uh, later, um, later on in the Old Testament, we find Habakkuk saying, basically saying, God, what's going on? The world is a mess. What's going on? And God says, listen, write the vision and make it plain so that the person who reads it can run. So they'll prosper, they'll do well. What is the vision? The just shall live by faith. Not by the keeping of the law. The person who's just, who's justified before God, is the one who believes him. The just shall live by faith. This sets us free from all of the demands of the law in order to attain righteousness, in order to become righteous and enter into a relationship with God because we've done enough good things and we've kept away from enough bad things. And that kind of mentality also, what it does, it puts us in a position then to judge everybody else who 
has bad things happening to them. And we're like, well, the reason why those bad things are happening to you is because you're not doing the good things that I'm doing. Right? We find ourselves exactly like the Pharisee that Jesus rebuked. <laughs> and the Pharisee who went to the temple and prayed, God, I thank you that I'm not, not like these other people. <laughs> what a sad reality. But the one who went away who was accepted and blessed is the beggar who said, be merciful to me, a sinner. Because he understood the righteousness of faith, the gift of righteousness. God, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Paul continues here in Romans 10, and he says, um, what does it say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That's what Deuteronomy says. That is the word of faith which we preach, that if you confess with your mouth the lordship of Jesus, the Lord Jesus, and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, right? Because that's the gospel, that Jesus died on the cross for our sins. He was buried and raised from the dead. If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You will be rescued. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture says, whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. He's quoting the Old Testament writings. Uh, For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord over all is rich to all who call upon him. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's another quote from the scriptures, from the writings, from the Old Testament. Okay. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? So a person who hasn't believed God, how can they call on him for salvation? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? How, how can they lay their trust in him to call on him to be saved? How can they lay their trust in him, believe him, if they haven't heard of him? Paul continues. <clears throat> and he says, and how shall they hear without a preacher? Now, that doesn't mean a professional preacher. Okay, it just means without an announcer, right? Without someone announcing, okay? How shall they hear in order to believe what they've heard, in order to pray to the one in whom they have trusted, in whom they have believed? How can that happen if somebody doesn't tell them, if somebody doesn't announce to them, right? And how shall they announce or preach unless they are sent, as it is written, How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report? So then, faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Paul lays out there, in a very straightforward way that Israel had missed the gift of righteousness because they attempted to establish their own righteousness before God by their keeping of the law of Moses. But the Messiah, the one who was to come, he fulfilled the law of Moses. He satisfied all the demands of the law and it became in our place 
the perfect sacrificial lamb. <laughs> Spotless, without blemish, whose life was, was given over so that our lives could be rescued, so that we could be saved. Now, Paul picks up some similar ideas here in the book of Galatians. And uh, I want to read through this. Uh, we don't have a lot of time left, but I want to read through it. And then uh, we'll just hopefully summarize real quickly. <laughs> the problem with the area that Paul's writing this letter to was that there were a lot of people uh, who had come. They were referred to variously throughout the scriptures. Paul calls them dogs in one place. Uh, but... Um, they're also referred to as Judaizers. And what they were were uh, Jewish people who were going around into the, the churches saying that if you really were following Jesus, this Jewish Messiah, uh, if you really were honestly following Jesus, then you need to be circumcised according to the law, and you need to then be bound to the keeping of the law of Moses. Okay? And so this letter to the Galatian churches is Paul's rebuke of that idea, it, and it's thorough. He thoroughly rebukes it, and in fact, it seems like he gets a little ticked in the process that this is even happening, you know. Um, but uh, I just want to read a little bit of it to you. You know, I'm just going to read some, and then we'll pray, and we'll, we'll close. There's so much more that we could say. <laughs> oh, foolish Galatians. Oh, you know what? Let me back up a little more. Galatians 2. Um, verse 14. But when I saw that they were not straightforward about the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter before them all, If you, being a Jew, live in the manner of Gentiles and not as the Jews, why do you compel Gentiles to live as Jews? We who are Jews by nature, and not sinners of the Gentiles, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus the Messiah, even we have believed in the Messiah Jesus, that we might be justified by faith in the Messiah, and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law, no flesh, nobody will be justified. For if, while we seek to be justified by the Messiah, we ourselves also are found sinners. Is the Messiah therefore a minister of sin, a servant of sin? Certainly not. For if I build again those things which I destroyed, I make myself a transgressor. For I, through the law, died to the law that I might live to God. I have been crucified with the Messiah. It is no longer I who live, but the Messiah, Christ, lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I don't set aside the grace of God. For if righteousness comes through the law, then the Messiah died in vain. O oh, foolish Galatians, who, who has bewitched you that you should not obey the truth before whose eyes Jesus the Messiah was clearly portrayed among you as crucified? This only I want to learn from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun in the Spirit, are you now being made perfect by the flesh? Have you suffered so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Therefore, he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you, does he do it by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Just as Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness, therefore know that only those who are of faith are sons of Abraham. But the Scripture 
foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles, the nations by faith, preached the gospel to Abraham beforehand, saying, In you all the nations shall be blessed. So then, those who are of faith are blessed with believing Abraham. For as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not continue in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. But that no one is justified by the law in the sight of God is evident, for the just shall live by faith. Yet the law is not of faith, but the man who does them shall live by them. That's what the law said. Christ, the Messiah, has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree, that the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles in Christ Jesus, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Brethren, I speak in the manner of men, though it's only a man's covenant, yet if it's confirmed, no one annuls or adds to it. Now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He doesn't say, and to seeds as of many, but as of but as of one, and to your seed, who is the Messiah. And this I say, that the law, which was 430 years later after Abraham, cannot annul the covenant that was confirmed before by God in the Messiah, that it should make the promise of no effect. For if the inheritance that God promised Abraham, if the inheritance is of the law, it is no longer of promise, but God gave it to Abraham by promise. What purpose then does the law serve? It was added because of transgressions, till the seed should come to whom the promise was made, and it was appointed through angels by the hand of a mediator. Now, a mediator doesn't mediate for one only, but God is one. Is the law then against the promises of God? Certainly not. For if there had been a law given which uh, could have given life, truly righteousness would have been by the law. But the scripture has confined all under sin, that the promise by faith in, Christ, in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. But before faith came, we were kept under guard by the law, kept for the faith which would afterward be revealed. Therefore, the law, the law was our teacher, was our tutor to bring us to the Messiah, that we might be justified by faith. But after faith has come we are no longer under a tutor. We're no longer under a, a teacher. For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on the Messiah. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in the Messiah Jesus as far as your position before God. We're all accepted. And if you are the Messiah's, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. There's so much more that, that we could say and so much more I want to read from there, but it's, I need to summarize here. Um, <laughs> here's the, the deal. And Paul's going to say this, like in First Timothy, Paul says, the law is good if one uses it lawfully, knowing this, that the law is not for the righteous. 
If you've attained the righteousness of faith, the law isn't, isn't for you in the, the way that it was originally given. The law is for the lawless, for the disobedient, the insubordinate. The law is to, is to demonstrate that we are sinners in need of a Savior. Okay? That's what the Torah is for. The law of Moses. Um... <clears throat> Here's the, the main point of the things that I'm saying. <laughs> because Jesus has come, you who've believed him, that he died on the cross for your sins, was buried and raised from the dead. You who've called on him to be saved. Our relationship to the law of Moses is different. Um, we find several places in the New Testament where... Paul looks back to the law, recognizing that the law is spiritual, it's good. That we can still gain truth from the law of Moses, and we should. <laughs> the law still reveals the heart of God. So we don't cast it off in that sense. But because our righteousness before God isn't attained by the keeping of the law, we're not bound to the law of Moses. We're free from the demands, from the requirements of it, because we've entered into a relationship with God as his sons and daughters by faith, by believing in the one who himself fulfilled the law. Jesus satisfied the demands of the law, and the author of the Hebrews is going to show that Jesus is greater than the angels, he's greater than Moses, he's greater than the, the whole priesthood of Aaron. In fact, he's of a different priesthood. The priesthood of Melchizedek, okay, who, who lived before Aaron even lived, okay? He's going to say Jesus is greater than, than all of those things. And so that which was passing away, beginning to pass away, he says it's, it's time for it to go. This is why. This is why it's okay for you to eat shellfish. <laughs> this is why... It's okay for you to have, you know, some bacon if you'd like some. Only let it be done in love. See, because all the law is fulfilled in this, that you love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and you love your neighbor as yourself. So if your freedom causes you to sin against your brother or sister, now it's become sin. Because you're not acting in love. The same thing with the, the tattoo issue, the same thing with the whatever other issues of conscience, eating meat sacrificed to idols is one that Paul brings up in his writings to the Corinthian church. Live in love. If the things that you're doing cause your brother or sister to stumble into sin, now you're no longer walking in love. Okay, And that's why it's a problem. Sometimes people say, well... You know, there are parts of the law that we need to keep and parts that we don't need to keep and they try and divide the law of Moses up. There's, you know, civil laws and there's ceremonial laws and they break it up in all these different parts. It's interesting to me, the law itself never does that. <laughs> never breaks itself up that way. And there are moral laws, they say. The law itself never divides itself up like that. Uh, think of it like this. If you are in our state, in Florida... Our state has a law that says on the interstate, 
uh, that our speed limit is 70 miles per hour, right, on the interstate here in Florida. Now, I understand that if you go to Texas, there are some places in Texas where you can drive 75 on the interstate. That's the law over there, okay? There, and, and let's say that, let's say it's exactly the same. Let's say we go to Georgia. The interstate speed on, in Georgia, most of the interstate speeds are 70 miles per hour, right, or sort of the speed limit, right? Now, if you're in Georgia and you get pulled over because you're going 85, the officer is not going to look at you and say, listen, Florida's speed limits on the interstate are 70 miles an hour and you're breaking the law. Because you're not under the law of Florida anymore. You know why? Because you're not in Florida, right? Okay. But, but the law is the same. You're in a different position, but the law is the same. You're in a different place, but the law is the same. And so what we find is that there are some things in the law of Moses that absolutely are things that we should be obeying, right? <laughs> like, honor your father and your mother. <laughs> right? Don't commit adultery. <laughs> right? Jesus is going to illustrate that uh, walking in love means more than just the physical act of adultery, right? It means something even deeper than that, more than that, right? <clears throat> we are not under the law of Moses. And so, when we look at our lives, when we look at what happens in our lives, we're not under the blessing and the cursing of Mount Ebal and Mount Gerizim. Instead, we are in Jesus, who fulfilled the law of Moses in its entirety. All the demands of the law are satisfied in him. And Paul writes, I think, to the Colossians, and he says, having nailed them to the cross, right? He made a spectacle of all the powers and principalities, all the demonic realm, because he kept the law. He fulfilled it. <coughs> it's no wonder to me, I promise this is the last thing I'm going to say. It is no wonder to me that just a few chapters later, Jesus speaking to these Jews, says to them in, in Matthew chapter 11, he says, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke on you and learn from me, because my yoke is easy and my burden is light, and you will find rest for your souls. I, I want you to understand that we live in the middle of a world that is caught up in the heaviness of trying to establish their own righteousness. Even people who, who seem to be atheists or people who say they don't know or there is no God, they're still trying to make themselves good enough just in case. And they're carrying such a huge burden because they know they're not. And just like I know I'm not. And so we come with this great news that Jesus died to save sinners and he'll rescue those who come to him. And, and all I can say is, will you please, won't you trust him? Won't you lay your hope in him and not in yourself? Rest in him. And then you'll know, even when something bad happens to you, it's filtered through his love for you. he loves you. I don't always know why God does or allows all the things that he does in my life or in the lives of people around me. No. But I know that he's good. 
and I know that he's bought me to be a part of his kingdom. So, I, yes, thank you, Lord. <laughs> Father, would you help us to trust you, I pray. That's what I want more than anything. That we are free to love. Lord, would you help us to do it, please? Pray that you would be our help in Jesus' name.